This morning we will be looking at the last section of chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And this is a, this is a fun chapter to think about. And it's one of those chapters that we can relegate, easily relegate to that happened in the first century church. How in the world would that ever happen today? But let's, let's be open to, wait a minute, we just have a man, Philip, who is led by the Spirit to share the gospel with somebody. That happens all the time. Now, the, the really cool part is that he's whisked away. And he finds himself really far from where he was just talking with this guy that he led to Christ. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It just might be whisked away. I don't know. But let's, let's just have the Lord teach us. Teach us that you don't fit in the particular boxes sometimes that we relegate you to. Let's look at God's word together. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him. And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Lord, may we please be obedient to the leading of your spirit. That's what we desire. May we listen well, and may we obey well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You have heard the phrase, your chariot awaits. Usually from some, it's, some, it's referencing some uh, pitiful mode of transportation that you are welcoming somebody to get in or be a part of. Actually, you know, every now and then I'll do this because I kind of nerd out with where those phrases start. Like, where in the world did that start? And I was shocked by this. You know who said that first? Charles Spurgeon. In a sermon in 1866. Preacher in London. But what he was doing 
was he was in the, in the moment in the pulpit. He, is, uh, he was translating a Welsh hymn into English, from Welsh into English. And he even admitted, I'm not going to do a good job at this, but here's what it is. Part of that hymn was telling Jesus. It was the, the hymn is appealing for Jesus to return and come for his bride and come uh, establish his kingdom on this earth. And he, the, the hymn, the line in the hymn says, your chariot awaits. And so he began developing that thought. Weirdly enough, that's where it came from. But don't we all just long for Jesus Come on, Jesus, please come back. Now, the scriptures tell us that he doesn't come on a, in a chariot. He comes what? On a horse. He's coming back on a white horse. He's riding the clouds. What a day that'll be. Riding on the clouds, on that horse. But what Spurgeon picked out, which I think is helpful for us uh, in looking at this chapter, is that, or this section. What is the chariot that Jesus rides? It's the preaching of the gospel. And so the, the Ethiopian uh, is an example that the gospel comes in that chariot, bringing the good news to people. And there's life and there's joy as a result of the gospel proclamation and then receiving the gospel in faith. See, the, the preaching of the gospel ushers Jesus' presence in. And we get to participate in that. There was a chariot awaiting Philip's proclamation, his gospel proclamation. And are we aware of the chariots that may be around us? Where the Lord is waiting for us and providing opportunity for us to share the gospel, to have gospel conversations with people that we know well or just would be led to a stranger and asking a question. So the first thing we see uh, in this passage, is that Philip is responsive to the Spirit's leading. And that's, a, that's an example for us to put on. We want to be responsive to the Spirit's leading. We want to be listening for the Spirit. Now, if you see the verse 26, says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and then we have the, the Spirit saying to him, go join, in verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go over, join his chariot. And then in verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Uh, it's pretty safe to connect the angel of the Lord as the same. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe he spoke through an angel at that moment, and then he showed up. Not sure how that happened. But either way, the Holy Spirit is guiding all of this from start to finish. Go over to this place. Go over to that man. Then go somewhere else. That's what the Spirit is doing. And Philip was obedient to that. Now, this is probably... This experience that Philip is having is most probably happening during his regular prayer time. There's a regularity of his prayer, perhaps, that, that is bringing in uh, an awareness and a desire to say, Lord, I'm listening. Holy Spirit, I'm listening. And that helps us just be listening. Learn in the, the secret place how to hear the voice of the Lord so we can hear him amidst the hustle and bustle and maybe the chaos of life. We still, we want to learn the Lord's voice so we can obey him. And he tells him, rise and go to the south road, to the place uh, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Look, this is a desert place. Why would the Spirit tell him that? 
Or why would uh, Luke in this moment, Luke is the one reminding us, this is a desert place. I think this helps two ways. One, there's a correlation between, remember, the people of God had a wilderness experience in the Old Testament. They had to wait 40 years in the wilderness before the generation died off. And then the the faith-filled generation, as it was supposed to be, enters the promised land with Joshua. But we have, a, we have Jesus has a wilderness experience as well. That Remember, the Spirit led him into the wilderness after he was baptized. But what is this desert place representing? I think it's, one, it's the spiritual state of the Ethiopian. But it also reminds us that we all exist in a spiritually desert place. In terms of we go out in the midst of a world that is trying to grope around to find God with any mechanism that they'll, they'll figure out and, and maybe will be, uh, help them try to figure out where God is. So we exist in our salvation as believers. We exist in a desert place spiritually. And we see that happening all around us, that people, you remember if you're in a desert a long time, you start seeing things and you have you have mirages and hallucinations and sometimes culture can feel like that like how in the world and the prophet isaiah tells us you know woe to those who call right wrong and wrong right it's schizophrenic it's it's crazy but yet that's the desert place that we all are around and here the easy for me to say the ethiopian is in a spiritually desert place because of the separation from the Lord, because of sin. We're now told that the Ethiopian is a eunuch, the court official of Candace. Now, all of these details, I think, are very uh, important. Luke wants us to know that as he's writing this account, but also the Spirit wants Luke to bring this out because there's uniqueness about uh, Philip's response to the Spirit and proclamation of the gospel to this man. And there's correlation of what he's even reading in Isaiah. We're told that this Ethiopian eunuch, remember, he, is, he has been castrated to, and assigned to be in the court of the king of Ethiopia. But he's also he's, he's a person of influence, a person of power, But we're told he worshipped in Jerusalem. This meant that he was a proselyte. A proselyte was a Gentile believer in the Hebrew God. A Gentile believer, somebody who's not Hebrew, but yet they trust God is the only God. He's the sovereign God, almighty God, and he will provide salvation for his people. And God made provision for that within the people of Israel. And they were were told, welcome the Gentile who is a God-fearer. So God wants them to come. But him being a eunuch, he would not have had full status as a proselyte. I think the Lord's building something with this description. He's building something that he wants the church to know. He's told that he is the in the court of the official Candace. That Candace is not a, a, a lady's name. It was a title for the mother of the king. In Ethiopia. Now, uh, this Ethiopia is not the present day country that we know as Ethiopia. It's at the, uh, it's 
right below Egypt where the Nile begins. Remember, the Nile runs south to north. And so there, it's Nubia would have been the old description. That's where this was. So it was a Nile uh, civilization. And the king of Ethiopia was thought to be too holy to deal with small matters like buying and selling things. So he left it up to his mother. So it was that you had a king of Ethiopia, but you always had the mom that was there to take care of all the details for the king. That was Candace. But this is a big deal. Here, this is a, an Ethiopian who is serving this queen, this queen mother, who is in charge, oh, look, of all her treasure. Some serious influence. Now, what we also learn about Ethiopia and all the, the Hebrews, the, the people of God, and, and the Romans, the Roman thought that Ethiopia literally was the end of the earth. That's how they described it. Like Venice, Louisiana. You drive there and you really feel like we're going to fall off the earth. Are we there yet? It takes forever to get there. You finally get there and it's like, oh yeah, this is tenuous. This is not safe. It's just any moment. They literally thought this was the end of the earth. Now, remember what Jesus told his disciples. And I think this is why Luke is putting this right after Philip is in Samaria. You will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria. And what? To the end of the earth. Now, the cool thing about this is that Jesus is planning for his disciples to go out to the ends of the earth. And we are part of that fulfillment to go out to the ends of the earth. But what he's doing right here is saying, hey, uh, I'm going to save this Ethiopian eunuch and I'm going to already get to the end of the earth so they'll be waiting for you. It's the Spirit doing that. It reminds us that the Spirit's the one in control. He's the one uh, promoting the gospel of Christ through our lives and doing it in unstoppable ways, remember. Unstoppable ways. Now, Philip obeys. He goes to this area, and he obeyed the direction of the Spirit to go to this one person to approach his chariot was not an easy task, right? This is is pomp and circumstance. This is a chariot that probably had four wheels. It may have been uh, pulled by slaves, not animals, but slaves. So this is a big deal. It's not easy to approach this, and how often... In our own obedience to the Lord, we struggle with the, oh, it's, it's difficult. How do I engage this conversation? What do I do? I just, oh. These guys did the same thing. This is not just a first century deal for the, the first century Christians. This is for all of us. We learn. We learn this. And look, in Philip's desire to obey, he ran to him. He ran to the chariot. Now, I wonder if he heard what the, the Ethiopian was reading because during this time, it was typical that people read aloud. Uh, reading silently has not come into normal human experience except for maybe the past couple centuries. So everybody used to read out loud. We're all the ones who just read silently. I guess it's the English making everybody be polite. Keep it to yourself. But everybody read aloud. So this Ethiopian is reading aloud. He's reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. I wonder if Philip 
catches that and recognizes, oh, I got this. I know what you're reading, and then runs to him. But either way, he obeyed. He was responsive. So that's for us to to ask this question of ourselves. Lord, am I responding to the leading of your spirit? Am I listening well? And am I obeying? Am I responsive to that leading? Because what uh, Philip then does in this moment is he begins a gospel conversation. He wants to know, what what are you reading? Random, hurting reading, the prophet Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? Now, this is, this is very important for us to, to capture as uh, not just a helpful tool, but a, a caring thing. You know, a lot of times sharing the gospel with somebody can become so mechanical because we think we have to hit all the right points that we don't listen for what's happening in the person that we're sharing the gospel with. And asking questions really is a great way to find things out. Here's what we want to find out. How is God already at work in your heart? Because God is always on the move. God is working in the people that you are praying for and the people that you are coming in contact with on a daily basis, perhaps. God is at work in their lives. Just like he's at work with this Ethiopian. God was already doing something, preparing this Ethiopian for the gospel conversation that Philip would bring to him. So we have confidence in that, church. We don't have to start from zero. We have to find out what God's already doing. Now, God might be doing something in somebody's heart where they're angry about it. And that's where it gets a little tenuous. But we ask questions, not in a, not in a, uh, 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 an irritating way. You know, like when, when your child continues to ask why things are that way, and you finally just, because I said so. Now, sometimes, parents, that is appropriate. Sometimes it's not about their reasoning, it's about their obedience, and so it is appropriate in a gracious manner to say, because Daddy is saying this and you have to obey. That's why. Not just coming down, because I said so. That doesn't help anything, right? <laughs> so there are appropriate ways for us to be able to say that. But when, when the child just keeps on asking, I, weirdly enough, came across this thought that if you ask the question why, I don't know whether the deal is about this five times, then you'll get kind of the motive of what's going on. So whether you want to try that, I don't know. Maybe not try it with your spouse, but just maybe figure out, how do we put this why thing to the test? Because when we, uh, when we ask questions, look, we're asking questions of our own hearts, right? We ask God questions, but we, we have to be able to also uh, embrace the care in the questions of asking somebody how they're doing to discover, and listening well, to discover how God is at work in their hearts. If they're angry, it's like, wow, I can tell you're kind of angry. Why do you think that is, why is that stirring in you? I don't know. Is there disappointment? Is there frustration that you bump into? I can also this. 
a lot of times we don't engage in gospel conversations because we don't feel like we have all the answers. Because if somebody asks us a question and we don't know the answer to it, we may be embarrassed. In that moment, we can free everybody. I don't know is an appropriate response. But look, but I'm going to try to find that out. That's a really good question. I don't know right now how to respond to it, but I'm going to ask around. I have a church family, pastor I can go to, and and I'm going to come back to you because that's a really good question. But on the other side, we can ask other people questions too about their faith because you know what you'll find out? The same fear that's in us, like I might not have all the answers, is the exact same fear that's in them. That's why they doubt. That's why everybody doubts. Because they're afraid they don't have the right answer. They're afraid they're going to have to give account of their answer. And, and, and they know that just because my mom said so, is, or my grandmother loved Jesus, doesn't hold water when it comes to our own personal experience. So look, it's really good to learn to ask good questions, probing questions, carefully probing questions. Not to irritate, but to discover. And to discover what? what? How's God at work in you? Because we have the example that he's always at work in people. How is God at work in you? Because God meets people, and he will meet people through his word. How many times occurs testimony is, is, the, is reading the word and God arrests his soul to, to trust God and put his faith in him. God meets his people through his word. And here, this man is reading the, probably the entirety of Isaiah 53. We have a couple verses, and it's different than if you look, if you look at Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament in your Bible, it's going to be different phraseology because he's reading the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. There you can impress somebody with that word. But look what he, in verse 33, look what he's reading. Remember who this is, an Ethiopian eunuch. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. The eunuch could say the same about himself. He probably didn't choose to become a eunuch. It was probably done to him, and it was humiliating. Perhaps justice was denied him. The humiliation and the oppression that he spoke about the Savior, that Isaiah referenced to the Savior, met this man in his physical state. See, Jesus, while he's at work, while God's at work in somebody's heart, he identifies, Jesus identifies with the one he's drawing to himself. And that's what we can that's what we can bring to the fore, to, the, to bear. And remember, as a proselyte, this man was probably denied full acceptance into God's family because he was half man. So he was a half worshiper. But you know what we learned from this experience? And this is why Luke includes this. This, this whole thing is to teach the church a lesson. As the gospel is going forward, There are no half-Christians. There are no half-Christians. No matter what life experience has done to us, no matter how we feel like we have messed up or or mutilated something, God's power is greater. He's greater, and it was to teach. Nope, full worshiper, full 
Christian. And look, we have this wonderful phrase. I love this. Philip opened it, verse 35. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, I, I wonder if he connected. Philip's smart man, full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, one of the seven chosen in chapter 6. He's putting things together. He's listening to the Spirit to go places, so he's probably listening to the prompting of the Spirit in this moment to be able to say, oh, God, I see what you're doing. But let me, let me tell this man about a Jesus who knows him way better than I know him, who has identified with his suffering, has bore his sin and died in his place and now has resurrected. So his resurrection life and power is available to all who will believe him. So from that scripture. Now, this tells us that Philip knew the scriptures. That, that's, that's not just the job of pastors and teachers in the church or evangelists. Everybody has the responsibility to know the scriptures. Now, we don't study the scriptures to have arguments prepared or we know things. We study the scriptures to see Jesus because that's what the word is about. It's about him. So we, we experience his presence. We experience his, oh, God's character. As we're reading the word, we're learning about him. And as we are looking at Jesus, I love uh, singing the old hymn. I remember seeing that as a boy in church. So when we look at Jesus, I love this line, when we look at Jesus, the stuff of earth grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Isn't that true? We just need to look at Jesus better. So all the stuff that vies for our attention and we want to put our hands on to grip tightly can just fall away because it just needs to go strangely dim. And it's not strange, it's just we know why. (laughs) But Lord, would you just have it fade away as we're looking at Jesus? That's what Scripture helps us do, to see Jesus in all of his glory, his brilliance, and his grace. So we know the Scriptures to see Jesus, and then we know the Scriptures to know how they point to Jesus. So we, we know the Scriptures, we put it together with listening to where people are, and people will tell on themselves with enough time. Their words will just tell on their heart. God, Jesus said that. You, your, your words, your mouth speaks what fills your heart. Some people it's immediate. Other people you've got to draw out a little more. But we listen so we can help. Maybe have somebody say to us, can you guide me to understand this? remember years ago, uh, meeting, met a guy. We actually bought a house from him. And just in a broken situation, uh, his marriage fell apart. He was in a place of just trying to figure out what, what on earth is going on with his life. Uh, he told us a price for the house that was way cheaper than it was listed for. He said, look, I'll just take this. I was like, well, that's great. I'm thinking, oh, God, you're providing this. Well, one time I, I went over to the house. We had to do some paperwork, and he just started unloading on me all the things that he was going through. So I was able to share the gospel with him, and he finally said, man, if somebody just tells me what to do, I'll do it. Well, here's the open door. (laughs) 
walk right in. That was a glorious moment. I was able to pray with him and he received Christ. That's the only time in my life that's ever happened. Well, I take it back. The very first gentleman I shared the gospel with was in the French Quarter at Jackson Square. Went there with the youth group, just talking to people about Jesus. And this guy was in from South America. I forget what country, maybe Argentina. And he was just by himself. And I'm 16 years old. And I was afraid as all get out. And I just started sharing the gospel with him. I forget who was, a friend of mine was next to me because we had to be twos, you know. That's how Jesus does it. Just shared the gospel with him. And I said, do you want to receive Christ? He went, yes, I do right now. His name's Edgar. And I really look forward to meeting him in heaven. Just always remember that. Always remember it. It was just too easy. It's like, it's not supposed to happen that easily, right? Just Sometimes it does. And what a glorious thing. But there are other times. I have more stories of sharing the gospel with people and them just going, yeah, whatever. Still wanting to live out their life by their own terms. So this also does mean that we, we need to have a gospel presentation that we can go from. That we can, we can lead people to Jesus by saying, okay, here's where you are, and we'll start with this scripture or this concept from God's word, and I'm going to lead you to Jesus. Now, typically that can, we, we, there are some very, very helpful resources. I listed them for you in your notes. Uh, one would be a little book called How Good Are You? We, we actually put this in all the visitor uh, bags that we give out as a church. Uh, it, we have some at the back on the welcome hutch that you're welcome to take a couple just so you can read through it. It's, it's very similar to what I learned in college. Uh, it's involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. Today it's called Crew uh, in, at LSU. And they had the Four Spiritual Laws booklet that was by, written by Bill Bright who started Campus Crusade. And it was just really helpful to have some type of structure to be able to go from. Very similar uh, concept with how good are you? Very, got a little dude driving a car. It's going to go to destruction or go to good things. Just helpful. You can walk somebody through that would be a helpful thing to do as well. Uh, the second thing on there is, is God, man, Christ response. My challenge would be for you to learn a gospel presentation that would take at least two, uh, just at most two minutes where you can say, go through God as creator, man as rebellious sinner, uh, Jesus as savior, and the response of faith and repentance. Kind of something like this. God in all of his goodness and glory created everything out of his love as a demonstration of his, his benevolence. I've practiced this a lot, so that's why it's easy. Out of his benevolence for all of us. And creates man to enjoy the fellowship that he is in himself. God is holy, and he's good, and he's great. But man, rather than take that relationship seriously, desires he wants to get above God. So we know the story of the woman being tempted, and then Adam takes the fruit and eats because they both wanted to be God. They wanted God to obey them rather than them obey God. So they're stuck in a situation where God, in his goodness and benevolence and holiness, cannot be in fellowship with them anymore, kicks them out of the Garden of Eden. But the story doesn't end there. 
Adam and Eve still in their rebellion have all of us in our rebellion. But God says, I still want my people, my creation, to be a part of my fellowship. So he sends Jesus to live the life that all of us are supposed to live and die the death that all of us deserve to die, taking our punishment upon himself so that we might have his resurrection life. We know this is all true because Jesus really did rise from the dead. And now simply this, God doesn't say to us, come with your performance, come with your works, come with, I'll accept you by all that you do. He doesn't do that. He says, you trust me. So our response is faith. Our response is, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I repent of everything that put Jesus on the cross. I repent of all of it. And I want to change direction in order to embrace you. And we we change direction, not by our own strength, but because of the power of God that now comes to reside in us in the presence of the Holy Spirit when we put all of our faith and trust in Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. Will you trust that? That's it. But isn't that a beautiful story? Isn't that beautiful to rehearse that? Yeah, I'm... I'm a guy that has to communicate a lot. So I've refined those phrases. But I I tell you what, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd still would work really hard at trying that because even if it's just this. (laughs) Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's enough too. That's enough in the glorious gospel that God has for us. Uh, there's also something called Three Circles. If you look up, there's an app called, from Life on Mission, from uh, the North American Mission Board, uh, from the, the Southern Baptist Convention. If you look up Life on Mission, there's a very helpful, three, you can learn from it, three circles that are drawn, that says about God and us and how to be saved. Very helpful. A little more intricate than God, man, Christ response. Same principles there. A little more intricate than how good are you, but very, very helpful resource. I put that before you as well. So, It's just a practical help for us to pursue the Lord. We want to be responsive. We want to be open and ready for gospel conversation because we want to live out the gospel life that we have just like Philip did, but also this Ethiopian does. He responds with faith. Yes, I want to change. And he says, here's water. I want to be baptized. Of course, Philip probably told him what baptism represents. Baptism is a physical demonstration of what's happened on the inside of us where we have been dead and we are buried with Christ in the water, and he'll raised to new life because of faith that we have put in him in the presence of the Spirit. So uh, baptism and communion, it's gospel, the gospel for our eyes. And here, when they came out of the water, verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. What does this mean? He was, he was teleported? It seems that because he saw him no more. Maybe Philip was just ready to go. and Maybe this is just a practical way uh, of describing that he just kept on preaching. He went to the, had the success with the Ethiopian eunuch and then just went about his way and then eventually found himself at Azotus, which is 20 miles away. Or maybe it really does mean that he was whisked away, teleported. I think that. I think it was because he found himself there. I don't know why the Lord needs to do that. But I think it helps us remember this. The Holy Spirit is using us to share the gospel with people. 
And may we find ourselves everywhere sharing the gospel with people, open to those gospel conversations. What I love is that the Ethiopian, look, went on his way rejoicing. That's gospel life. Went on his way rejoicing. Church history says that he went down to Ethiopia and he preached to the point that the whole nation was Christianized. Most of them were Christians at the same time that Constantine made the Roman Empire Christian. Isn't that awesome? From one person. Because this guy saw Philip obedient, responsive to the Spirit, so he wanted to be responsive to the Spirit and go preach the gospel. Joy, rejoicing. People see that. People see that, they want to know about it. So church, oh, may we be responsive to the Spirit because your chariot awaits. Your gospel proclamation ushers Jesus' presence into the relationships, into the rooms that we're in, into everything that we're about. Your chariot awaits. May we be responsive. May we be obedient to the leading of the Spirit in our witness. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for a fun story to rehearse and all the intricacies of what it is. God, I just thank you for prompting us. Thank you for stirring us. Lord, we just ask that we would be obedient to that stirring. And Lord, would you gift us, please gift us the pleasure and the rejoicing of seeing people in our lives come to faith and getting saved from your wrath because of our gospel conversations. God, would you please lead us and may we be obedient to share the gospel. Save people around us, God, so we can rejoice with the heavens that rejoice in all your goodness and grace. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, as we look to our commission to remind ourselves to be obedient with just a, a few announcements for you, a couple to draw your attention to. Uh, we are redoing our website, our church website. It's, you've heard me say this before, that our website is the front door of the church now. That's everybody. Uh, people are looking online. They're looking on their devices for who we are as a church way before they show up. Uh, I usually meet people that are new to the church, and they've said, oh, I've listened to a lot of your messages. I'm like, oh, which ones? I want to know if they're ones I liked. Um, <laughs> and so uh, we're redoing that. Uh, and to that end, we need to update our pictures. And here's what we're going to do. We've hired a photographer to come on two separate occasions to take pictures of what we're doing. Uh, that's going to be first on October 1st. So this means everybody needs to come to church on October 1st, all right? So we can celebrate and have awesome pictures. So October 1st is going to be a day where uh, the photographer is just going to take pictures of what we're doing uh, in children's ministry, everything, us talking and laughing and, ah, yeah, you know, all that. We're going to do that. You're going to throw a peace sign. That's cool. Uh, L's up. You can do that, whatever. But we want to, we want to have that as a, a wonderful time. We're going to actually move our picnic because the pavilion was not available on October 1st. We're moving the picnic to October 15th. Photographers coming back on the 15th to come hang out with us at the picnic. We're going to provide food. So here's what I'm asking everybody to do. Make sure you're here on October 1st, and then again come to the picnic on October 15th. Cool? That makes sense, right? All right, but it's still fun to hang out and have a great time. So that's, that's what we're going to do. 
All right, and uh, men, uh, again, our meeting is on Wednesday night at my house. Seven? Is that right? Seven, Seven o'clock. Is it behind me? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Seven o'clock, uh, it's not too late to join, so please come. What I loved about seeing that is we had some uh, guys who, uh, new faces that are joining the group, which is awesome. We just love that. But it really is a fun time to sharpen one another uh, in the, with the word and the truth. Amen? All right, let's remind ourselves of our glorious commission. Jesus said to his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. May God bless us.